Hey everyone, welcome back. I'm Jeff. <laughs> and I'm Regan, and this is You Pick, We Watch, the podcast where you pick the movie and we take a deep dive into it, learning everything we can about your recommendation. Today, we're talking about the 2018 film, Ready Player One. Are we? <laughs> I, I think so. <laughs> oh, this is take two. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, this is probably my favorite movie we've watched so far. And I've seen it before, but this is probably yeah, my favorite one we've watched so far. Um, it, yeah, it's, it's really up there for me, too. If you could live in or be any character from the game um, that you saw within the Oasis or any game you've ever played, what would you choose? I feel like my 12-year-old self would pick the Master Chief from Halo because I started playing that when I was real young. And I don't know, it just felt so great to see, you know, Spartans from Halo in the movie. Goosebumps the first time, oh. like, I saw that, that whole scene. And I'm going to talk, we'll talk about that later. But yeah, um, I think... If I could be any character from any game or live in any world, I would probably choose to live in Final Fantasy X because that's my all-time favorite game ever. Okay, that's your jam? That's my jam. And there are no Final Fantasy characters in this movie, but I feel like if you explored the Oasis, you would find an area that was like it. Oh, definitely. And I'm, I'm not even sure, like, I can rule out any specific video game characters that weren't in there because it's absolutely packed with so many references that it's a few of them are kind of blinking. You miss it. Yeah. There's no way you can tell who's in it um, from like one or two watch throughs. You have to almost like watch it and pause, watch it and pause. There's <laughs> frame so by scenes. frame. Yeah. Um. So basically, with the overview is when a creator of a virtual reality called the Oasis dies, he makes a posthumous challenge to all Oasis users to find his Easter egg, which will give the finder his fortune and control of the world or his world. So that's a pretty dope Easter egg. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I got to say, after experiencing the book and the movie, I think it's pretty well hidden, too. Yeah, I'm stoked to hear you talk about the differences between uh, the movie and the game. And this is definitely going to be a week where we don't, where we talk about Blade Runner. So oh. you know how excited I am. Oh, for <laughs> sure. I was compiling facts earlier and I was like, oh man, Jess is going to love all these Blade Runner things. <laughs> um, so my initial reaction to this, uh, the first time I saw it, I wish I had seen it in theaters. Um, just because of the sheer size of some of the scenes. Um, but as a child of 1984, everything in this movie is nostalgic to me. Hmm. And there are so many scenes where like I get goosebumps or like just that emotion from being a kid is just wants to come out. And it's so, so incredible. This movie is so much fun. So exciting. And there's so much to it. Um, 
that being said, there are going to be a lot of spoilers in this discussion. So, um, there, I mean, the name, name of this game is basically how many Easter eggs <laughs> can you find? Um, so if you haven't watched it, pause the, the podcast, go watch it and come back. So, um, what were some of your favorite characters that you did see? You mentioned Master Chief and the Halo guys. Yes. So I, I fortunately was able to see this in theaters and that really did enhance my overall experience of it. Um, the And kind of like what you said, that I had a lot of emotions seeing all these things I love on screen. And I don't know, when I saw the Iron Giant, I, I like felt myself tear up a little bit. Because that really yeah. gave me a lot of feelings about <laughs> that movie. Um, yeah, the Halo guys in there. I, I recognized a lot of stuff from other things like I haven't played, like Overwatch. Um, uh-huh. Just also, um, I don't want to say like generic pop culture things, but you know, you've got like Batman, Ninja Turtles thrown in there. My friend who grew up in the early '80s said he saw Battle Toads, and I've got no idea yep. what those are, but it's like yeah, I you, can point. Oh, them you out. don't know what Battle Toads are? I, I don't. Oh my! I saw them like. I saw them too. They're so they're very similar to what the Ninja Turtles look like because they use the newer style of the Ninja Turtles, which hashtag not my Ninja Turtles, <laughs> but that's a different conversation. <laughs> um, but they're they're three toads that are frogs, really, I guess, because they're green. Um, and they are if you haven't played Battle Toads, first of all, go play Battle Toads. <laughs> You'll rage quit and. When I saw them too, I exactly what he said or felt like I was like, oh man, there's so much like 80s stuff. And yeah, you were born a little later, weren't you? Yeah. Yeah. I was born <laughs> right in 1990. So it's like I recognize 80s stuff, but I don't have the same connection to it. Yeah. Um, that's, I had a couple of the same things you did. I had the Iron Giant um, Tracer from Overwatch. Um, obviously the t-rex yeah yeah um, oh oh also the um rx 78 gundam from the original series that gave yeah. me a lot of feelings too because that was one of like my favorite anime shows growing up yeah when he comes down and like gets into it you're like oh i was never like a gundam transformer fan mm-hmm. um but like i can respect that because gundam was huge Oh, yeah. And he also jumped out of the Firefly class uh, cargo ship Serenity from the awesome show. Yeah, from Firefly. There are so many vehicles in this, too. Um, And then you get the little, like, horror uh, pop culture references. (laughs) Yeah. Like, when you see Jason and Freddy, that tripped me out. And Chucky? Yes. Oh, Chucky is probably one of my favorite scenes. (laughs) I, in that whole <laughs> it's it takes a special kind of scene in a movie to make me feel the way I did at that where when I was in theaters and I saw Chucky for the first time just the way they introduce him I laughed so hard I almost threw up yeah <laughs> I just love that when he, he Chucky gets out and he starts attacking that guy <laughs> and then it cuts back to the um the Sixers and you just see them all dying. And <laughs> oh, yes. So let's, with that being said, let's move into 
because there's so much in this uh, movie that we probably will be jumping around a lot today. Yeah. Um, so try to follow along. <laughs> but let's move into our, our favorite parts. Um, what was your, if you can pick one part, what was your most favorite? Well, um, I, I didn't really pick favorite, like explicit favorite moments. I just picked three things like overall that I think the movie did really well. Um, the first one of those is, um, just the overall feel. If you didn't know it was directed by Steven Spielberg, you could definitely feel it's got his fingerprints on it just because his movies and specifically him as a director give me that sense of like childlike wonder about being taken into a new world like Jurassic Park or, mm-hmm. you know, pick a Spielberg movie. But this one, <laughs> not to beat this horse too much, but, you know, it it gave me that childlike sense of wonder when I was first uh, watching that on the screen. Um, the other thing is that it balanced the real world danger very well with like the in-game danger you know like there wasn't you're not safe in the real world kind of a thing yeah and then i thought olivia cook's performance was awesome like everyone else was good but i feel like she just kind of stuck out to me uh she played the character of artemis yep yeah um she the whole i think the whole cast was really good and i'm going to ask you later when we talk about the book how you feel the casting was based on the characters from the book. Cause sometimes you like you watch a movie or you've read a book and then you watch a movie based on that book. And you're like, that's not how I pictured the character. So <laughs> totally. Uh, we'll did get you, to that. did you have a favorite part of the movie or just something that you thought it did really well? I do. Um, the, actually the very beginning race scene, <laughs> um, there is no backing music to that. It is just the sound effects of all the vehicles, the crashing, the coins. Um, It makes you feel like you're playing a video game. Um, And with the no sound back, like the no music in the background, it just intensifies everything. Kind of like, have you have you seen Atomic Blonde? Yeah. Okay. So you know the part when she's fighting the guy in the staircase that and is, there's no sound? That's my favorite part. Yeah. Right? It's it's kind of like that. It's intense. It's exciting. And you really don't know like what's going to happen. You know it's a video game, so you know nobody's really going to get super hurt. But just that no sound in the background and just the sound effects really stuck out to me. Yeah. Actually, up until this moment, I was so pulled into that scene that I didn't even realize there was no soundtrack. Yeah. Um, and also in that scene, there are so many vehicles that are referenced. <laughs> uh, okay, what's your favorite um, vehicle that you've seen? Uh, I think I think it's the 1960s or 50s Batmobile. And I don't even like Batman. but It looks cool, though. Yeah, that, that Batmobile, which actually tours around to different Comic-Cons um, in real life, hmm. is pretty cool. I think I want to say I've seen it at one of the ones here. Um, but yeah, just seeing that and then watching uh, H just knock it off. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
I, I really like that. It's it's cool. I I really liked uh, Kaneda's motorcycle from Akira that uh, Artemis mm-hmm. was driving during that. Yeah, that's cool. Did you know the Ferris Bueller cars in there? Um, <laughs> I... It's in. It's not in the racing scene, but it's in H's workshop. Um, there is so many pop culture vehicles in this movie <laughs> that it's like whenever I hear about a new one, I'm like, you know what? I'm not surprised, but that's real cool. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. Um, and my other like really probably the scene that gave me like the most goosebumps or in the most feels and emotions. Um, and I don't get a lot of emotions when I watch movies. Um, was the end scene when all the characters come out to fight against <laughs> them. Yeah. Yeah, I'm right with you there. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the cast a little bit and then we'll get into the book and how it compares. So Ty Sheridan plays Parvazel. Parvazel. I can't say his name. Percival. Z. Yeah, <laughs> Percival. Uh Z. That's how I like to call him. He also played Scott Summers in the newer X-Men movies. Yeah. So I liked him. I liked him in both. He's always wearing things over his eyes. So <laughs> Yeah, he's he's one of those actors that I haven't seen him in too many things yet, but every time I've seen him, he's been good. Yeah. Um, you mentioned Olivia Cook, who plays Artemis. Um, I don't know her from anything else, um, but I agree she was amazing in this. Do you know her from anything? Uh yeah, one other thing. Uh Bates Motel, a show that was on I think the A and E channel maybe four years ago i know it recently ended like like three four years ago i want to say but yeah she was really good in that too but she whatever scene she's in she kind of steals it in this movie at least in my opinion yeah even uh in the animated scenes yeah oh definitely like it's it's really good um ben mendelson plays sorrento hmm. um he was great in rogue one a star wars story yeah, I'm a huge Star Wars fan. He plays a villain, uh, so good. But you know who he reminded me of? Hmm. Um, just in looks, John Hurt in Alien. Huh. Like, if you look at their faces, I felt like I was looking at a young version of him. It was just that's probably just me, but <laughs> I spent like half the movie thinking, "Why does this guy look familiar?" Hmm. You know what? That, um, that's fair, though. That's fair. That's not an unreasonable comparison. Yeah. Uh, ben Mendelsohn uh, is really good at playing either a villain or a very shady character. There's only been like a couple movies I've seen him in that he hasn't been like a straight up villain, but he always manages to pick like really interesting roles. Yeah, uh, he's definitely typecast, I think, a little bit, um, mm. but he does a really good job with them. Yeah. Um, Lena Waithe is actually a newer... This was her first uh, acting role, but like major acting role, but she's actually been a writer for a ton of stuff like Bones um, and some older things too. But she has been a strong voice, um, especially in time periods like now. She's been a very strong voice for women of color in movies, in comedy, um, in writing, she's mm. also part of the LGBT community, so she has a lot of uh, 
stake in a lot of things and she always puts her her foot out there for a lot of things that she's into and uh, that she supports so if you go look up some of her other stuff that she's done it's really really good and it's more on the indie level but she's she's really cool i can't wait to see what if she goes further in acting because i really like her she played h Mm. okay yeah yeah she's she did a really good job um it's weird. She has one of those faces where when I saw her on screen, I knew I didn't recognize her from anywhere, but she has one of those faces where I feel like I should, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I totally, totally get it. I think, um, yeah, she's just, I've watched a few things that she's done. Like, um, I think she was on Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee with mm. Jerry Seinfeld. Um, Great show. I think she was on, yeah, I think she was on a cooking show to like um ugly delicious or something like that i can't don't quote me on either of those <laughs> but i know she's done some like other work where she talks about a lot of things she's just a really cool down-to-earth person so hmm. um but honestly my favorite voice actor and somebody you never see as a real person in the movie is uh i rock tj miller <laughs> i was hoping you'd say that <laughs> He's got uh, such great like comedic timing. I had that written down. I wrote, and his timing is so perfect. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's definitely typecast, absolutely. Um, but it was like I was watching another Deadpool movie every time he talked. Yeah, yeah, and he he <laughs> nails that specific brand of humor, you know. Oh, absolutely. It's it's great. So. Now we've gone over who all these people are. How do you go into the book for us and how you think and all that stuff? All right. So, um, you know, for the most part, I'll say that there, there are some significant differences, but most of the differences uh, between the two are, I'd say, a good thing, like a step in the right direction for people wanting to make a movie. If you wanted to be more faithful to the book, it would be it would have to be like a miniseries or something like it would. The runtime would be a little insane for a movie. So um, the first uh, just on the mechanics of the challenge um, in the movie, you have to find three keys and that like unlocks the final Easter egg. And in the novel, you have to find those same keys, but also find the corresponding gate that they go to so you're looking for like two separate things each challenge so that yeah and again it's like almost all the changes i think were a step in the right direction um in the actually all i think all three of the challenges too are more it's kind of like cerebral for a book Whereas if you tried to convert those to film, I think it'd actually be really boring. Um, but I thought it was cool that the first um, the first Easter egg is on the... It's like a common access planet called Ludus where people go to school. In the book, um, the Oasis isn't just for, you know, video games and escaping reality. It's like people conduct businesses and like jobs. They go to work in the Oasis because the world that it's set in is actually crappier than the one conveyed to you in the movie. Um, 
so it's it's just cool that on the basically the school planet is the first um key that kind of makes it accessible to everyone because if you want to the protagonist's problem at the beginning is that he doesn't have basically any money he's like poor in real life and then also poor in the game so it's like he can't afford to like take a portal to another world or whatever so that i thought that was kind of cool um that is cool something that was one of my biggest questions like throughout the whole movie the one thing that kind of took me out of reality was the money issue Hmm. and then it kind of it clicked with me like oh they earn money in the game that they can buy things in the real world too but yeah i thought that was a cool scene when he buys that new haptic suit and it says like real world pickup or something like that Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's like once you once you really like are able to think about the different aspects of the world it makes more sense um okay so irock actually um in the book he's actually only mentioned twice and he's only brought up because h um reveals that he lets him go like you know hunting with him because he's so bad at it and he likes to laugh at him So that's that's kind of funny. I like how they expanded the character, you know, to someone who actually makes a difference. Yeah. Um, but this gets a little a little spoilery. Is um, Irock's significance in the book is that uh, he, H, and um, Wade all go to the same school on Ludus, and after Wade gets. You know, his character gets super famous because he found or he cracked the first like clue and got the key. He actually brags that he knows the person in real life, sort of not in real life. But, you know, it's like, oh, I know who this person is and actually accidentally leaks enough personal information for IOI to track him down and, you know, blow up his apartment. Wow. That Uh, is different than... uh... Is is there a love story in the book? Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, again, spoilery, but uh, Wade doesn't actually meet Artemis in real life until the end of the book, and I think it's it's done pretty well. But I think it's done even better in the movie, just because the entire book is from Wade's perspective. So, um, you don't really get to see characters doing a whole lot else other than like when they're with him um so like to that end you don't even get to see a whole lot of you know what becomes the high five in the movie is because they're all um solo gunters you know so they're all kind of more rivals than friends even though h is like his best friend they still have a you know competitive edge to the friendship there but right Probably one of the biggest things that I thought I might not like about the movie is the fact that uh, Daito actually dies in the book. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah, yeah. It's it's something, it's a bummer, but also it really kind of lets you know what IOI is willing to do to win the the contest and also raises the stakes for the protagonist so like when they figure out that ioi is able to you know track down where they are in the real world it feels like 
you know, it, it's not good in the movie. They have to like, you know, move around. But in the book, it's like literal life and death. Yeah. You, you kind of get it in the movie, but it's definitely like there was never a time where I thought anybody was in super real danger. Um, so to hear the book have that more kind of intensity. Yeah. Um, I think that's really cool. Yeah. Again, it's like, I don't feel bad about him not dying in the movie. I just feel like that would have been a great way to raise the stakes. Yeah. Um, as far as characters go, I, <laughs> I'm completely fine with the cast that they have for the movie. I thought they did a great job because everyone in the book is kind of more stereotypically gamer um, in the sense that like Wade's actually kind of overweight and like Daito's <laughs> really skinny and has like acne and he doesn't ever like go outside. <laughs> um, <laughs> Artemis is like the only one who she looks relatively normal because she like her in-game avatar sort of more closely mirrors what she looks like in real life which isn't like super skinny and busty like everyone else's avatars want to be <laughs> i mean that's video game <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> um the you know the extra life quarter that he gets from the curator mm-hmm. in the novel that is for playing a perfect game of pac-man like while he's on the lead for the next key he manages to get a perfect score in pac-man and uh ends up getting that extra life that's so cool because Pac-Man's my favorite ever. Really? Um, yeah, I love Pac-Man. I have the uh, the one-up arcade cabinet downstairs, mm. um, and yeah, I've I would play. I used to play Pac-Man on Xbox 360 for <laughs> hours on end. Um, and when I read that, because I, I did read that part um, when I was looking up my notes, and I was like, ah, oh, I wish they had put that in. But you don't really see. You don't see. Pac-Man really anywhere in it that I noticed in the game, which a lot of it has to do with licensing and rights. And yeah. I'm actually surprised they got as much as they did. Um, oh. Yeah, for sure. So. Um, but I guess when Steven Spielberg asks you for the rights for something, you, you say yes. <laughs> I was going to save that for trivia, but yeah, it, essentially <laughs> it's because he is who he is that they got most of the rights for the movie. Yeah. Um. I do have two last facts um, about differences between the novel. Um, the one that I think I enjoy the most is um, at the final battle there, you see that H is piloting the Iron Giant. And in the book, all five of them actually have mechs that they've you know got over years of like raiding and stuff. And um, if I'm not mistaken... Uh, Parzival's mech is Leopardon, which is the Spider-Man mech from the Japanese 70s TV show Supitamon, which is <laughs> hilariously bad. If you've never seen clips on YouTube, just check it out. Check out the trailer or anything. That's awesome. I will have to do that. Because only Japan would give uh, <laughs> Spider-Man a mech, and I love that. Yeah, there's mechs in everything. Exactly. Uh, the last thing is um, when um, when Wade was 
questioned about like a Halliday trivia, he answers that Halliday's favorite GoldenEye multiplayer was uh, character was Oddjob. And it turns out that the programmers of GoldenEye note that Oddjob was sort of like an Easter egg because the auto-aim was miscalibrated um, and kind of left unresolved. Like they never were able to fix it, which made him more difficult to hit if you're trying to kill him. Yeah. Um, did you ever play GoldenEye growing up? Oh, big time. Okay. Because it was probably, I was, I think, 13 um, when the 64 came out. It was 96, so it was 12. Um, and me and my friends would have GoldenEye tournaments. <laughs> and we had rules that you couldn't be odd job. <laughs> and if you didn't have a weapon, you had to, the other person couldn't shoot you. You had to do slappers only. <laughs> so when he says that the favorite, his favorite, um, like other mode was slappers only, I like died. I was like, <laughs> yes, somebody else actually played the game like we did. And it just brought me back to like 96. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. That did you have awesome. any weird things in GoldenEye? Um, not okay so i didn't own an n64 i had to go to my friend's house and play it and uh it was it was one of those friends where like you were tight for a summer and then you know just for whatever reason we didn't really like hang out a lot after that so i didn't get to play a lot of goldeneye but i did end up playing james bond nightfire in the 2000s on my GameCube, and my favorite character was Oddjob because he you could use his hat as a weapon. It was a one-shot weapon, but as a one-hit kill. So that was like an edge that only his character had. That's awesome. That's the kind of stuff that this movie makes you think about. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, nostalgia. Well, I, I back, know. My favorite part about that favorite part about that movie is the nostalgia and also I forgot to mention that um, Artemis has more like agency in the movie that's uh, in the book Wade gets he engineers it so he gets captured by IOI and goes to one of their loyalty centers because it's like part of a bigger plan that he has and I'm just glad that she got to do it in the movie because you know it, it Again, the book is all from Wade's perspective, so kind of splitting more stuff up amongst other characters makes it feel like a more engaging movie. Yeah, that's cool. I like how they all come together. Like, what are the odds of them all living in uh, Columbus? <laughs> yeah, yeah. In, in the book, actually, Ogden Morrow flies them all out to his pad in, like, uh, I can't remember if it's Columbus or Seattle. I think they end up at his place in Seattle because he's trying to help keep them safe. Oh, that's cool. Um, all right, well, let's move on to some trivia behind the scenes, how things are done. Um, you know, I always go to the Oscar stuff. Oh yeah. Um, no surprise that this was nominated for best achievement in visual effects. Um, didn't win. But let's see who did win. Uh, you can go with one while I look that up. <laughs> All right. Um, so I guess Spielberg worked with Industrial Light and Magic, uh, the visual effects team 
that worked on the movie, he met with them for three hours, three times a week when they were like setting up the, you know, what they wanted out of the movie. And um, a significant part of that, you know, film takes place at the Overlook Hotel from The Shining. And they were able to digitally recreate the film using high quality telescene, which I'm not really sure what that is, uh, from the original movie. But uh, the cool thing about that is the way they did that gave them more freedom for like new camera angles and shots that could be generated from the recreation. And they used that in combination with the original footage and um, like only a few scenes involved real actors, which I thought was cool. So they were able to like reproduce it and then make sure it still looked old from the 70s. Yeah, I saw that. I read that too. And that uh, amazed me that they, how much work he went in. Did you know, leading into that, while they, while he was waiting for them to do a lot of that stuff too, he went and made a whole nother movie, Steven Spielberg. <laughs> he went and did uh, The Post, which is the movie about the Washington hmm. Post or the New York Post. Oh, yeah. I think uh, it was, I want to say a Meryl Streep movie too. Cause, yeah. Um, one of that. And also, into that um john williams was supposed to do the music for ready player one but because of the scheduling conflicts with the post he had to drop out and he left it to um alan silvestri um who funny enough did the predator score (laughs) back back to the future forrest gump and some of the current MCU movies. So, wow. Um, Spielberg and John Williams and George uh, and George Lucas usually always work together. If you know John Williams stuff, who did you know Star Wars and everything amazing, like <laughs> Indiana Jones, all that stuff. Um, so it was kind of interesting how everything got like tangled and it's one big web. Um, hmm. do you prefer this soundtrack when they actually had real songs or the Guardians of the Galaxy Awesome Mix Volume 1? Oh, man. <laughs> That's an unfair <laughs> question. That is an unfair <laughs> question. I I like them both for different reasons. I'm going to, you know, see your answer A, answer B question and give an answer C because that's... <laughs> uh, yeah, they're both great for different reasons. I think I like this soundtrack for this type of movie, you know? All right, I'll accept that. Um, I agree. I think that the soundtrack, the songs that they used for Ready Player One fit just like the songs with uh, Guardians of the Galaxy fit very well. So. For sure. 80s, man, they're making a comeback. <laughs> I I don't think the 80s have stopped making a comeback since like the late 90s. <laughs> yeah, it's because it's the best time. I sometimes wish I was born like 10 years earlier, just because I wish I had been able to experience 80s arcades instead of 90s arcades. Ooh, there there is a place in Buffalo I think you would love called Pocketeers. Yeah, and... go there. Oh yeah, okay. Yeah, there you go. I love That's... it. I love it there. <laughs> um. That's they actually, it. if anybody's local, they are reopening on the 30th. Um, so get your quarters, go support them because they are incredibly awesome. 
I've never them. seen more pinball machines and pool tables in one place. Yeah, um, I, me and uh, my wife go there on date nights sometimes, and we'll just I'll drop twenty dollars in pinball machines because I'm terrible at pinball, but <laughs> I still have so much fun. Tangent question: What's your favorite pinball machine there? Uh, the Sopranos, easy. Mm, that it's the only one. one. It's the only one that I actually know uh, what to hit to get points. Okay. Um, I also really enjoy the X Men one. Another good one. What's yours? Speaking of, uh, well, just like a bunch of famous people kind of coming together around this movie, there were several people that were all considered to direct this film, including my boy Christopher Nolan, <laughs> Robert, De- Robert Zemeckis, Matthew Vaughn, Peter Jackson, and Edgar Wright. That's a hefty list of directors that wanted in on that. That is a hefty list. Like each one of those has their own weight. Yeah, Robert Zemeckis did Back to the Future, right? That's right. Yeah, um, I, mean, I think Matt... if it wasn't Spielberg, Spielberg, he would have been the next best choice just because of the eighty style. Yeah, I think you might be right. Um, quick throwback: uh, the people that won the Oscars. For best visual effects, it was First Man, which I did not see. First Man. Oh, yeah, that was like the... Uh... Oh, The Life of Neil Armstrong. Yeah, Neil Armstrong. Okay. Yeah. I haven't um, seen it, but, you know, fair enough. I haven't either. It was up against uh, Infinity War, Christopher Robin, and Solo, A Star Wars Story. So... Mm. Visually, Solo was really good visually. Visually, yeah, yeah. It's it's got it's a complicated movie for me to talk about. Not like in plot. Well, yeah, it's sometimes hard to know what's going on, but it's just how I feel about that movie. I went in with negative expectations, and I think I ended everything on like a very neutral level. Like, meh, well, okay. I went in. Just because I love Star Wars, so I went in excited, and mm. I had a blast watching it. Um, but I never felt like anybody was in any real danger. So, like that whole scene where they're going, they're doing the Kessel Run. You're mm. like all the main. In the words of Family Guy, we got four of the five main characters <laughs> on this ship. <laughs> You're gonna be fine. <laughs> so, I I will say that. Um... Donald Glover, I thought, played a really good young Lando Calrissian. Oh, yeah. Yeah, uh, Donald Glover's coming more on the scene uh, for me when he does not serious roles, but like a little more serious, I guess. I don't like his childish Gambino stuff, Mm. um, and I didn't really like Community that much, but I really enjoyed him in Solo. I think you might like his show Atlanta, then. Because it's it's a more on face value, it's a more serious show, but there's a lot of like absurd humor in it, and that's really all I can say without <laughs> diving too deep into that one because that is a deep dive. Yeah. Um. All right. What do I have for fun stuff? Um, um. Oh, the uh, I like to go over the budget stuff. You know that. 
Oh, yeah. uh, this was the budget was an estimated hundred and seventy five million dollars, um, which I assume most of that probably goes to the visual effects, um, at, like just doing that. Um, opening weekend, it made forty one million. Um, not too bad. It grossed in the U.S. one hundred and thirty seven million, uh, which U.S. wise, it's not great considering the budget, but it did make 582 million worldwide and reached over 300 million globally within just a week. So it ended up being the biggest release ever for Warner brothers in China. Um, as of 2018, it was the second largest Hollywood release. That's obviously, uh, Avengers Endgame probably blew that out of the water. (laughs) (laughs) That being said, I'm surprised that, uh, more people didn't get out to see this one opening weekend. Yeah, I think I think it hits a very specific group of people. Um, you're not going to get I don't think you're going to get people, you know, in their 40s or 50s going to see this unless they have kids. Mm. Um, that is true. You might not get a lot of younger kids like 15 and under going to see it because they don't recognize any of the characters. Um, you're also going to probably only appeal to a lot of men, boys that grew up in that time period. Um, Cause just generally speaking, when I worked in like video games, GameStop, the uh, amount of women versus men was very, I would say probably for every one woman, it was like four to five men, you know? That's a good so, point. I think it, it's a very specific group of people, but I think those people really came out to support and uh, show their love for the nostalgia for things. <laughs> I love that I had a question and you basically gave like an itemized <laughs> verbal spreadsheet of like, well, given all things considered, here you go. <laughs> Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. That's why we uh we work so well on this because we we uh we know what we're each other already going to say with this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, got a aliens fact for you. All right, all right. So, um, I guess uh, Artemis's weapon of choice, allegedly, is the. M41A pulse rifle from the film Aliens. Yeah, it's the one she's firing at the end, right? I think so. That's what I thought. And uh, also the... um, I can't remember exactly what to call it. It's like the loader mech from Aliens 2, I believe, is is also in H's workshop with essentially like... 50% of the awesome vehicles like the Galactica and the Harkonnen dropship in there. I miss that. That's sad. That's like, I think Aliens is probably my favorite out of that after seeing them all. Um, So let's talk about before, because I have two others that are like more towards the end. So um, before that, let's talk about the shining scene. Oh yeah. Have you ever seen The Shining? Uh, you know what? I will not say I've seen all of it, 
at once. I've seen most of it at 3 a.m. on TV at my friend's house when I was like <laughs> sleeping over about 16 years old, I think. Fair enough. I have never seen it all the way through in one sitting, but I've seen it. I think I've seen enough parts and enough uh, documentaries on it and enough documentaries on Stanley Kubrick um, to kind of put everything together. But they did the ILM kind of did the same thing um, when they recreated the T-Rex. They like had, they used some real footage and they used some digital footage, um, especially like with the, the girls, the twins. Mm, um, yes. And that whole, that whole scene got really scary <laughs> for a second. Um, and I love instead of they, the book doesn't have anything about the shining in it, right? That is correct. So in the book, it's actually um, a Blade Runner yeah. scene. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know why they didn't couldn't put Blade Runner in this movie? I sure do. So, um, essentially, Thank God, by the way, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. So I guess Blade Runner 2049 was coming out the same year, and um, that's why they couldn't get the licensing for that. Yep. In all fairness, they don't really go into much detail in the book other than he's blasting his way through, like, replicants at the, like, office where the movie starts. Um, there's a Easter egg in the movie, though, that does reference uh, Blade Runner, which... If you blink, you'll miss it. The part when they go to Sorrento and they're holding him hostage, their eyes glow orange. Or they have a glint of orange in them. And this is used in Blade Runner to identify replicants. I was hoping you'd say that. <laughs> Only like, it, oh, But that is so weird because when I was watching it today, I noticed that it's very brief, but it's just enough that my brain was like, wow, that's that's like some Blade Runner stuff right there. Didn't think anything of it. Just didn't. I thought that was just like a fluke or something. Yeah, huh. it's def it's definitely one of those things that you, you blink, you miss it. If you haven't seen Blade Runner, you wouldn't understand it. Um, then that's one of the coolest things about this movie is that there are so many little things that you wouldn't get which leads me into my other one from the end where after h has got them across on the iron giant and it's falling hmm. into the lava and she gives the the thumbs up it's terminator too it's yeah. when uh arnold's going into the uh steel which I love it. I got goosebumps during that part, too. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I know that reference. <laughs> yes, absolutely. That was one that did not go over my head. And I, OK, would you say that the amount of just detail and love poured into this movie is on like a Grand Budapest kind of level? Like... Oh, yeah. Yeah. The uh, everything that was done on. Um was out of love it was out of done so much love that steven spielberg avoided using self-references because he didn't want to even though there's so much of his movies in there um he didn't want it to be like he was just touting his stuff 
He wanted huh. to try to like not use. A, he didn't want to be accused of vanity, so he removed Makes. a lot of his own work references to it. Anyway, makes sense. You know, he actually said this was the third most difficult movie he's had to make in his career. Yeah, um, Jaws and Saving Private Ryan. That's right. Yeah, um, completely three completely different movies too oh yeah like you could not get farther from what farther each of these movies yeah what each of these movies are um just that just shows the range of spielberg and what he can do oh he's got incredible range as far as movies he's kind of like uh tom hanks when you try to pin down a certain kind of thing that they do in movies you know like for I maybe maybe Tom Hanks isn't the best example, but I'd say Johnny Depp might be. You know, that dude's all over the place. Yeah. Yeah, who else kind of Tom Hanks I find always plays like the nice guy kind of <laughs> or like the lovable goof. Yeah. Yeah, he's he's played as soon as I brought that up, I, I was reminded that he kind of feels like America's uncle, you know, like yes. our nation's collective uncle, except for in the movie Road to Perdition, where he plays a hitman who's less less likable. But he he's still I don't I don't know. He picks very, very wide scoping roles, but they all have a feeling behind them of like wholesomeness, whether that's intentional or not. He does uh real stories like true stories very well yeah he can become real people very well like um saving mr banks hmm. when, when he played walt disney oh yeah that was really good he um, just played mr rogers yeah um he did the he was sully from the airplane guy that landed on the hudson captain phillips yep i'm the captain now <laughs> look at me Look at me. <laughs> um, okay, you know who can do range? Here we go. This is, and I see this meme all the time, and I wish I was the one that had thought about it, but you can tell a lot from a person by how they know Tim Curry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, off, off the top of my head, Rocky Horror Picture Show, It, Muppet Treasure Island, right there. Three incredibly different movies. Clue. Um, uh, Home Alone. Oh. Back in New York. Or Lost in New York. Like, all over the place. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I think you nailed that. Uh, I think you hit the nail right on the head. Yeah. it's um, Actors are great. <laughs> the good ones. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> there are some that are not great. <laughs> uh, um, I think. Ooh. Have you ever been a fan of? Uh... Oh, geez, I, I have the character's name right in front of me. I can't think of the actual Mass Effect. Okay. okay. Ever been a fan of Mass Effect? Yes. Okay. Side S- note, though. Yes. I've only played the first one and I only got through halfway because the elevators in the Citadel upset me so much. <laughs> so I stopped playing the game and I went and read two of the books. Fair enough. 
Um, <laughs> during the uh, club scene, when uh, Parzival and Artemis uh, meet at the uh, on the dance floor, you can briefly see Commander Shepard awkwardly dancing in the background, which is apparently ironic because in the game it's a running joke that Shepard can't dance. I didn't get that far in the game. (laughs) (laughs) I have not played those games, but I love that fact just because that I've never seen that for as many times as I've watched this movie. There's always more to find. I'm going to look for that next time because, well, I didn't play as male Commander Shepard. I played as Fem Shep. Oh, Um, so it wasn't something that I would have looked for, mostly because the voice actor for FemShep is incredible. And you got to have a relationship with Liara, who is voiced by my all-time favorite voice actor. So there's a lot going on there. <laughs> also, um, FemShep is a great nickname. Yeah, <laughs> that's what everybody calls her. Because you get to pick your name. So when you're talking about like Commander Shepard, it was always the male and then when everybody would say FemShep, you knew you were playing as um, the female version of her. So if you get a chance to play it, um, all the remastered versions are a lot better than the original. So um, you Makes can sense. definitely drop a lot of hours into that. They fixed a lot of the... Bioware has an issue. They they have a lot of games where that are broken <laughs> on release. So <laughs> usually wait for the, the remasters. Um, but yeah, if you get a chance to play at least the first one, the first one's incredible. They they kind of peter out, but mm. play the first one. Absolutely. Um, I think that is all I have for my stuff. Okay. Anything else on your side? I got a few more things. Um couple quick things that uh 1966 batmobile that you mentioned earlier mm-hmm. so what as it's getting to a stop as it's about to fall off that broken part of the track uh the tires uh skidding sound effect is the same cad cadence of the na 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 batman <laughs> oh i missed that <laughs> oh. It's, oh it's so easy to miss it's so easy to miss i knew about it and this time i still missed it um so back in 2015 there was a rumor that um spielberg was trying to get gene wilder to play the oasis creator james halliday in his later years which would have been that would have been the first film that wilder had done since 99 but because his dementia had progressed to a point where he could no longer remember lines he wasn't able to take that Oh, that's sad. That is sad. It's especially so because um, at least one article I read described the movie as the Matrix meets Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. And I definitely get that kind of vibe from that. You know, like if Wilder was able to play him, man, that would have been that that would have been even more like a gut punch right in my feels. Yeah, um, I can totally see that because the tricks and everything that he played as Willy Wonka um, is exactly like him making like the game that was made. Um, The guy that they did get to play him, I don't know who it is. I didn't look him up, Um, but he played like old and nerdy 
<laughs> or he played like nerdy really well. Like yeah, I've I've I, only ever seen him in one other movie too, which was Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk that came out like uh, a year before or something. He was great in that, but I was just surprised to see him go from like a 1940s character to like a futuristic nerdy old man, and I loved every minute of it. That whole scene um, with Ogden when they're talking about when he's like giving up the or forcing him out or thinking Mm. he's forcing him out and he's talking about how things change and you have to move forward and it's like honestly I've felt like that like I don't I am so nostalgic and I try to live in the past so much sometimes that I feel like that character Mm. like I do want to go backwards and go back to those simpler times when things were easy and <laughs> you just had to worry about what character you picked in Goldeneye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I get that. And that's why I like good movies like this where, you know, two people can watch uh, the same movie and then come away with like different feelings and experiences. Yeah, absolutely. And that's again, it goes back to what I say almost every week that movies are magic. Um, yeah. And this is an excellent, excellent example of how a movie can bring you back to a time in your life when things weren't as they are now. Definitely. They were just nice. A window to the past. Exactly. Actually, on that same scene, um, when uh, he's remarking like about going backwards instead of forwards, like Bill and Ted did. um, (laughs) I so the. the really cringy swagger that um, Parzival has in the in the Oasis when he's just kind of walking around, he walks with this really weird gait that's kind of like off time with what it seems like normal people walk. It turns out that was based on Keanu Reeves' body language from Bill and Ted. <laughs> I have never seen Bill and Ted, uh, either of them. I did see the trailer for the new one. <laughs> And I hope it's everything Bill and Ted fans want. That's, <laughs> that's all I'll say. I, I also hope that. It's, I'll tell you what. <laughs> those movies, they are strange and they are 80s to the bone, but they're fun. Yeah, I'll have to, uh, I'll have to put the first one on my list of movies. So It's weird or seeing... Somebody can suggest it. <laughs> oh, yeah. There we go. Help us better our own selves by watching great. these great movies. Um, all right. Uh, do you have anything else? You know what? I got one more. Okay. And that'll do it. Um, so at at towards the end in the final battle, when uh, Daito uses that um, artifact to turn into the the Gundam. In the book, that was actually the beta capsule from the Japanese character Ultraman, where it would basically let you do the same thing. It would just let you turn into like a giant size like Ultraman, where you'd have like all the same powers that they did from like the 80s TV show. And uh, the only reason they couldn't use that was because there was a long running dispute over who actually owns the rights to that. (laughs) So it wasn't that someone said no. It was just that two parties were like, we both own this and we're fighting each other in court. Yeah, that things can get so messed up now, especially like 
from back in the day when studios owned uh people and then when that mm. like um that's why like your old MGM movies you would have the same actors playing uh in a lot of the movies your old uh I don't think Fox was around way back then. Uh, Warner Brothers? Yeah, Warner Brothers. Uh, you just, the studios owned the people. So that's why you saw Clark Gable and like the same women, which I can't think of anybody right now, but like that's why you would see them all in the same movies. And so, hmm. like, when people actually started getting agents and rights started getting moved around and stuff throughout the years like can you imagine how many rights to things to scripts to stuff that was created by these people have been lost over the years or like you don't know who owns them now yeah okay yeah that makes sense it's just it's nuts so i don't know when the i think once something's been out long enough it becomes like public domain too i don't know how long that is though uh, don't quote me on it. I think it might be a hundred years. I know that there are some like old, old, like silent films that are public domain. So you probably are right. Honestly, something to look into. Maybe somebody will put some weird 1920s movie on our list. <laughs> I don't know how we'd find it, but I'm sure we would. <sighs> I, I can a great place. <laughs> I only know that Nosferatu is still widely circulated, and that's from like 1922, which is wild yeah. that a movie that old is still, you know, so prevalent. A lot of those Bela Lugosi movies, was he 40s or 60s? Or t- I think that was like 30s, 30s going into okay. 40s. Yeah. Um, he was amazing. There's so much out there, guys. Send us movies to watch. Our Any decade. Is- yeah, any decade, any type. Our list is by no means complete. Um, funny movies, horror movies, weird movies, popular movies, not so popular movies. <laughs> we'll take it all. So, uh, <laughs> going into what we thought, or thumbs up, or thumbs down. I think I know how this one's going to go, but I'll let you go first. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I would give a very enthusiastic two thumbs up. I think there's a lot that um, a lot of different people would like about this movie. And I don't really think I need to say too much more about what I love about this movie, this whole podcast. I don't think I've been able to shut up about all the <laughs> all the things I love. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you. Two thumbs way up on this one for me. Um, I've already talked about how this is what movies should be fun, entertaining, exciting. This is a two hour and 20 minute movie as compared to last week, which was only a 94 minute movie, which I thought felt four (laughs) hours. This one felt like it was an hour. So uh, it's amazing. Watch it, rent it. Um, This one was actually sent to us by Matt R who told us to watch this one that he added this one to the list. So uh, thank you, Matt. Um, speaking of Matt, he sent in an email this week, and mm. he got he watched Total Recall, um, and this was his thoughts on it. He said, so I definitely didn't think I'd like that movie, but it was awesome, in capital letters, in a typical 90s action movie type way. Uh, I would never have guessed the ending would be Arnold Schwarzenegger giving Mars an atmosphere. Who <laughs> the bleep would even think that? 
I'd be hesitant to give it two thumbs up, but maybe 1.5. Matt, we, I think we agreed with you on that. Let's see. Uh, Yeah, we, I think we'd average it out to 1.5 because I think. Yeah, I think you gave two thumbs up and I gave one. Yeah. That's a good average. Yep. Um, So Matt, thank you so much for writing in. We really appreciate it. Um, Everyone, thank you so much for interacting with us um joining the conversation just being there and listening we really really appreciate it um i think there may be a facebook page coming soon yes so within this next week we should have the facebook page up and running and ready to rock and roll very Um, nice on there Uh, we should have a calendar of um at least the episodes that we know we're going to do. So, you know, every week we pick a movie. As soon as we pick it, I'll be sure to update that page so you know right away what we're going to be watching next. That's awesome. And uh, I've we've been talking a little bit about what we're going to do for, like, a special one. Um, I actually sent Regan a message at 4.30 in the morning because I couldn't <laughs> sleep and I couldn't didn't want to forget. But we're thinking of maybe doing a Kahoot for one of our special episodes for movie trivia because I ran into a few. Um, and if we, I think you can have up to four people in that. So maybe we'll do some type of thing. Maybe a couple people can join. We can try to do something with live streaming it or hosting it or somewhere. Um, we'll figure it out. But I think that might be something fun that's coming up in the, in the future too. Um, that being said, let's spin the wheel for our next movie. <sighs> All right, so one ready for this uh, production value. <laughs> one, two, three. If Blade Runner twenty forty nine pops up, I'm gonna be so not happy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, prepare to be not happy. I kind of want to send you a screenshot of this because that's it, Blade ex- it, uh, it was right on the edge of Fantastic <laughs> Mr. Fox and this. And I was like, okay, I could I could get a little foxy this week. And then bam, 2049. <laughs> oh, I like looked at it on the list and I was like, oh, it's gonna be that. Okay. All right. You know, that's actually really funny because <laughs> literally five minutes before I like came up here to record the podcast i was telling my wife like my birthday is coming up like within the next two weeks and i was like you know what i really want to watch blade runner 2049 again <laughs> so man what a birthday wish so blade runner 2049 was put on the list uh by regan because he really wants me to watch it because of how much i dislike blade runner so <laughs> uh we'll be watching that next week that means out of the one, two, three, four, eight movies that are left, four of them are my picks. So I'm hoping <laughs> the week after will be one of mine. <laughs> how, uh, about, how about this? Next time you can even spin the wheel too, just to put all the balls all in right. your court. <laughs> uh, no, because then people will think that I really, uh, that I rigged it. So you definitely have to spin next week. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You know what? That's fair. All right, I think it'll be, that's it'll be all. weird when we get Blade Runner twice in one you know, <laughs> two weeks, but whatever. <laughs> I'm sure you could think of enough stuff to talk about it for two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll be recording my TED talk separately. All right, all right, we'll post those on Facebook separately too. <laughs> <laughs>
All right. Um, you know, even just talking out loud into our viewers, listeners, in case anything, you could even do your uh, Regan uh, recommends on there as little extras. Ooh. I could. Oh, oh man, you know what? I could. Yeah, and I could do my own ones too. We can see, guys. There's so much out there. So much we can do. Endless so. possibilities. Endless possibilities. Um, I think that's about it, though, for this week. Regan, take us out. All right. Well, thanks, guys, for tuning in. Next week, we're going to discuss Blade Runner 2049, picked for us by me. Remember, you can help select the movie we watch by emailing the podcast at youpickwewatch at gmail.com. If you like what you hear, uh, please give us a quick five-star review. It really does help us and indicate to others that this might not be a waste of time. <laughs> I'm Regan. <laughs> you can find me at um, Author Regan Brooks on Facebook and Instagram. And I'm Jess. You can find me on Twitter at RadMadMal. Um, this has been awesome. This week was great. Please, guys, uh, thanks for joining in. We really want to hear from you. So send us emails, suggestions, say hi, anything you want. Um, we will uh, we'll catch you next week. I can't wait for this movie. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks, guys.